You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. Many of you may remember the uh, series, a uh, group of movies called Alien. You remember those movies? They kicked off in 1979. Hard to believe. As I was researching this, I thought, man, that was a lot longer ago than I thought. The very first movie, the very first Alien movie, the, the basic plot initially in the movie was that there was this disappearance of an entire colony of people who were living on planet LV-426. And so these elite Marines were sent in to try to investigate what happened. And they were confronted with the grisly reality that all the colonists on LV-426 had been taken alive by aliens to serve as hosts for these alien embryos. Hang with me, okay? Once the embryo was implanted in the, the, uh, to serve as a host, that individual functioned normally until the gestation process was complete. And then the alien emerges gruesomely, killing the host and all in the process of being born. Fortunately, this is just the product of Hollywood's wild imagination. And as unrealistic as this idea of a movie or this idea of of reality could be, the alien movies actually foreshadow a real dynamic that happens all around us almost every single day. Within most of us is the embryo of an invader that has the potential to destroy us along with those who are closest to us. Now, this invader enters undetected and he'll grow unobserved. And then one day we hear ourselves say something or do something that's totally uncharacteristic of us. And it shocks people around us, maybe even hurts some of uh, those who love us deeply. And we cover our mouth and we say, I don't know where that came from. It came from within. And chances are it is likely to come again. And the Bible talks about this phenomenon. In Luke, the sixth chapter, verse 45, it says, The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So what do we really know about our hearts? Your heart is that part of you that's invisible that philosophers and poets always talk about. It's the center of your being. It's who you really are. And one thing we know about the heart is that life can be really hard on it. The world is full of outside influences that have the power to disrupt the rhythm of your heart. And over time, you can develop habits that slowly erode away your heart's sensitivity. The inevitable pain and disappointment of life can cause you to build walls around your heart. Eventually, your heart can get out of sync with the rhythm that it was created to have. And those things that disrupt the rhythm of our hearts tend to linger, sometimes for a lifetime. And after a while, we just come to accept these disruptors 
as a part of who we are. It just becomes normal. But we weren't always that way, were we? So, how's your heart? There's a dilemma that comes when we talk about the heart. We act one way for public consumption because we've been told that it's the right thing to do. But we feel differently on the inside. Good behavior is always rewarded, or almost always rewarded, and so we act and we talk in certain ways that we know are going to be perceived as good. But all of this is somewhat problematic because pretending allows you to ignore the true condition of your heart. As long as you say and do the right things, you're tempted to believe that all is well on the inside. But when your public performance becomes so far removed from who you are in your heart, you have been set up for trouble. Eventually, your heart, the real you, will outpace your attempts to modify or to control everything that you say and do. Unresolved issues stirring around undetected in your heart will eventually work their way to the surface. Oh, you think you can play whack-a-mole for a while, but you can't play it your entire life. Specifically, these undetected stirrings will seep into your words and your actions. They will influence your character and your relationships. If your heart continues to go unmonitored, whatever the monster is that's growing in there will worsen to the point that you are no longer able to contain it with carefully managed words and behaviors. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Many, many years ago, I was assigned as one of four guys to partner on a work group for a specific project. Now, there were four of us, and we had this one meeting, and really, truthfully, that one meeting probably was going to be all we needed to, to do to, to accomplish our objectives. There were three of us who were there to help this one guy get this project up and running. He didn't have a lot of experience in this area. The three of us did, and so we were going to help him out. And so we gathered together that day, and the three of us who were the helpers, we started sharing ideas and sharing suggestions, and it was going well for a while, then all of a sudden, the guy that we were there to help grew noticeably quiet. I don't know what happened. Honestly, I don't know if someone said something, someone looked at him differently or something, but all of a sudden, no provocation, he stood up and slammed his fists on the table, and then he yelled at us and said, you have no idea what you're talking about. And then he stormed out of the room. And I don't know if you know this about meetings, but when that happens, the meeting is officially over. All right? We would see some of these angry outbursts from him in the future. It kind of became a pattern for this guy. And eventually, he would leave our ministry team and go to work for another church. But there was something going on on the inside of that guy. That's not normal, but maybe it is kind of normal. When a bad heart overflows, bad stuff comes out. When a bad heart overflows, 
bad stuff comes out. Let me give you some examples of what I'm talking about. You know you ought to be happy for that coworker who got the promotion, but you secretly hoped that you would get that promotion. And so you find yourself resenting him because of his success. You lose your temper way more than you ever did before. In fact, there's a little bit of an edge to your voice even when you talk with people who you love. Or your sister-in-law, ladies, she looks great in the latest style of jeans. And you know better than to even try a pair on. She looks great, but you're not about to let her know that. Now, why is that? Well, these are symptoms that there is something growing on the inside. There is trouble in there. Evidence of an internal battle are often found in things that we say, not just the things that we do. We find ourselves saying, I can't believe I just said that, or I I don't know where that came from. I can't believe I did that. That's just not like me. You ever find yourself making excuses like that? Here's the key point. Treating the symptoms without addressing the real culprit only masks the problem. So over the course of this series, we're going to examine four of these monsters that settle into the heart. And they grow. And they have influence. Each of these has the potential to erode away relationships, your good character, and even your faith. And we'll also examine some four specific habits, one for each monster, that when we exercise these, they will allow your heart to stay healthy. Now, if this sounds too good to be true, then just listen to what God said in Ezekiel, the 36th chapter, verse 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. God can take what is damaged and make it whole again. There's one additional thing that I think it's important to remember. Your heart most likely didn't get into the condition that it's in if it's in an unhealthy condition overnight. So it's probably not likely that it's become healthy overnight either. Adopting new habits is a process that will yield some immediate results, but You have to be committed for the long haul if you want to see healthy, long-term results. Now, here's the deal. As I think about presenting a topic like this, you get to a certain point in the talk, and I know that there are some of you who are thinking, I don't have a problem with my heart. (laughs) And that may be true for about three of you. Maybe you do have a problem. You just don't know it. On January the 5th, 1988, just a few years after retiring from the NBA, Pistol Pete Maravich, the greatest basketball player to come out of the University of LSU, was playing a pickup game with a group of friends at the headquarters of Focus on the Family. It was there that he collapsed following that pickup game, and he died of a massive heart attack at the age of 40, a shock to the sports world. Shocked to everyone in the LSU family. An autopsy revealed that his death was due to a previously undiagnosed 
congenital heart defect. Maravich had been born with only one coronary artery instead of two. The doctor said it was a miracle he hadn't died by the age of 20, especially with all of the physical exertion. Pete Maravich had no idea that he had a heart problem. When you have a heart problem, you don't necessarily know that you have one. So to find out what's going on, you need to do a fruit test in your life. Now, when a fruit tree is planted, it produces fruit, oftentimes in abundance at certain points in the season. So an orange tree produces oranges, and if everything goes well, there'll be a point in the season where there's a ton of oranges that are, that are uh, produced. The question of a fruit test is, what is the fruit that is being produced in your life? And if the fruit is bad... How do you normally respond to it when it's produced? When when fruit falls from a tree, it's common to take a bushel basket and go out and pick up all the fruit before it rots. We tend to do the same to try to tackle our heart problems. We apologize for our insensitive words or inappropriate behaviors. We promise others that we'll never act that way again, and we truly mean it. And then we repeat our mistake. And then we pull out our bushel basket again and we pick them up all over again and we dole out another round of apologizing, blaming, and explaining. Only when you deal with the source, then you have dealt with the problem. You have to go to the source. So what is the source of all the inappropriate behaviors and hurtful words that litter the world around you? And while we're at it, what is the solution? Well, if the source were simply a few behavioral habits, you'd have conquered this thing by now, right? I mean, if the solution were just try harder, you would have fixed the problem a long time ago. Remember, our words and our deeds are a gauge of what's going on inside. So where is the problem? Let's start there. If you have your Bible or your tablet or phone, you want to follow along, we're going to use Matthew, the 15th chapter this morning to uh, study just for a few moments. According to Jewish tradition, every Jew was supposed to wash from the tips of their fingers all the way down to their elbows before they ate any kind of food. This rule was designed to keep people from accidentally becoming ceremonially unclean. So a person didn't unintentionally put the wrong thing into his or her body or something that had touched the wrong thing into his or her body. But washing your hands before a meal was not required by the law of Moses. Sure, it's a good idea, but the rabbis of the first century had made it a standard for righteousness. So in Matthew 15, we find what happens as a result of Jesus ignoring this rule and also allowing his disciples to ignore it. We see how the whole thing uh, kind of evolves or goes down in Matthew, the 15th chapter, starting with verse 1. Look look what what we read here. It says, Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. So Jesus responds to this. He answers their question with a question. Look at verse 3. 
He says, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? So the Pharisees accuse him of ignoring the rules that they had set in place. And Jesus accuses them of of ignoring the law in order to keep one of their rules. And then Jesus launches into a scathing mini-sermon. We pick it up at the conclusion in verse 17. He says this, Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? And he's kind of stating the obvious, right? It goes in, it comes out. We all get that. But then look what he says when he drives home his point in verse 18. But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. These defile them. Jesus points out, God is not as concerned about what goes in your mouth as he is about what comes out of your mouth. What probably got the attention of the Jewish leaders was the phrase there in verse 18, the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. Everything that comes out of your mouth comes from your heart. Everything? I mean, there are plenty of times, let me be honest with you, when I've said things I didn't really mean. Anybody with me? Thank you. How many of us have covered our mouth and muttered, I don't know where that came from. But if Jesus had been there, he would have whispered in your ear, I do. It came from within. It came from your heart. And it gets worse than that. Jesus goes on in the next two verses to say that the heart is not only responsible for our words, but it's also responsible for the deeds that we do as well. Look what he says in, he says in verses eight, 19 and 20. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. Jesus says that my mind is not the source of all my evil thoughts. Those thoughts, they actually originate in my heart. Take a look at the list that he gives here. Evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality goes on. That list, these are all behaviors, he said, that come from the heart. So how does our heart get so messed up that it could produce these kinds of results? I mean, these are people who should know differently, but their heart is producing this byproduct. How did that monster, that alien, get in there in the first place? Well, life comes at us pretty hard. It comes at us from all different directions, and it all gets channeled through our heart. Unfortunately, much of what is our negative experiences have a tendency to get hung up, to get stuck there in our heart. And eventually, if they're there long enough, they will make their way out through our words and our actions. Our very lives emanate what's in our heart. Let's face it. Life isn't always kind to us. Everyone experiences a certain amount of hurt and rejection. And as a result, these hurtful events, unpleasant things become lodged in our hearts. We often call them wounds. And we carry those wounds with us. The earliest of wounds are often inflicted during childhood. 
At that time, our age prevents us from properly processing exactly how we feel. All we know is that it's bad, and we don't ever want to feel that way again. And if the hurt is repeated, we develop coping mechanisms. We have to. The very nature of pain is to stop it. And once we've stopped it, then we try to prevent it from ever happening again. Many of us end up carrying that wound around with us. Some of us will carry it our entire lives because nobody told us that there was an alternative. What causes this junk to get stuck there in our hearts? The junk that gets lodged in our hearts comes from a variety of sources, but there are two primarily, I would call them, key sources that cause this. The first is secrets. Secrets can damage our heart. Many will hide sinful habits or secrets from their past. These secrets have caused them to build walls in their relationships with other people. In many cases, their personal secrets have caused them to become unjustifiably suspicious of those closest to them. And that's because we usually suspect in others what we are guilty of ourselves. There's another cause that gets junk stuck in our heart, and that is shame. Shame has the ability to damage the heart as well. And when shame becomes lodged in our hearts, it's eventually, it'll eventually impact our words and our behaviors as well. The reality is that none of us reach adulthood without a few dings in our heart. And our response to those dings determines the condition of our hearts. Listen, we cannot control how people treat us. We can't. We can't stop hurtful words, but we can monitor their effects on our hearts. And we can reverse the damage and keep our hearts free from further destruction. So maybe I've been convincing for most of you, at least to this point, you're sitting there thinking, okay, okay, so, so this is true about my heart. And maybe I have a few wounds, a few dings, a few dents, But is it really all that important? Well, let me answer it with a resounding yes. It's desperately important. Here's why. Because heart issues always take their toll on relationships. Heart issues always take their toll on relationships. Specifically, heart issues impact an individual's ability to initiate and maintain intimate relationships. Heart issues make intimacy extremely difficult to maintain because intimacy revolves around knowing others and being known by others. And people with wounds on their hearts, secrets or shame, they they have something in their past that they don't want to become known. Let me give you a couple examples. She had an abortion as a teenager. She doesn't want anybody to know that. And yet it's killing her. He committed a felony when he, when he first turned 21. And he just assumed no one know that. But he feels tremendous shame because of it. He was sexually abused, or she had an affair, or he lost his job because he got fired. The list goes on and on. Being known is tantamount to being found out. And that's a terrifi- terrifying thought to somebody with a secret. So they build walls. 
And if you push for them to open up those walls and share what's going on on the inside, they push back. In fact, it's not uncommon that they're going to insist that you're the problem, not them. See, people with wounds who carry those wounds around, these monsters within, they have difficulty looking in the mirror because they don't like what they see. The old adage is true. Hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. And we could add to that. Who then hurt people, who then hurt people, who then hurt people. It's a continuing cycle unless we stop it. Wherever you may find yourself in this discussion, the odds are that you've got some cleaning out to do. And the reason I know that is because all of us do. And if you're willing to take that, that what may be painful look in the mirror at yourself, you may find the motivation that you need in order to make some changes. And I think change is, is vitally important. And here's why. If you don't change, there is a great cost that comes in ignoring the monsters within. If these monsters aren't dealt with, then these wounds will lead to unresolved hurt and it can end up eroding our very faith in God. You're no long, you no longer believe in a personal God, not because of theological reasons, but because you can't get past what happened to you or happened to someone who you love deeply. Life can take the legs right out from underneath us. That's why the writer of Proverbs in Proverbs 4.23 wrote, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. You and I need to protect our hearts. The monsters that we're going to bring down over the course of this series, there are four of them. They're enemies of the heart. They are guilt, anger, greed, and jealousy. Guilt, anger, greed, and jealousy. And I, I, I would guess, if I were a, a betting man, that everyone in this room could identify with one of these that gives them trouble. And some of you, God, God bless you, if you find problems with all four of them. But we're going to take a systematic look at this over the course of the next four weeks and tackle each one of these over the course of that time to hopefully give you some healthy habits that can can tackle it. If you want to, one of the resources that we've used is a book by Andy Stanley titled Enemies of the Heart. And I would encourage you to get a copy of that. Um, you, could, you could spend a whole lot more time getting a whole lot deeper on this topic with that, with that resource. Here's my prayer. It's that by the time we finish this series, you are shining light on the, of the truth of God and his word on these monsters by applying some habits that will strip them of their powers and give you freedom from the cruel and destructive nature that these monsters within intend to do to you. And God can provide that. So, having said that, we're going to tackle these monsters. I hope you'll plan to be a part of this study over the next four weeks. Because I think it'll I think it'll answer some deep felt concerns that maybe you've had 
and we're going to bring these monsters down. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for the promise that you never leave us or forsake us. You're with us for the long haul in this journey. And I think that it's probably providential this morning that the words that we share were probably some of the best words, some of the best news that some in this room have heard in a really long time. The idea of being set free from secrets that they've been hiding or shame that they've been burdened by. That they can be set free from these monsters that have been drilling down into their very heart and creating all kinds of havoc. Help all of us, God, to see how that can happen. That the freedom that we so desperately need, that it's possible. Help us to see the fruit in our lives and recognize, man, that's not exactly uh, healthy fruit. Give us discerning eyes to see if there's something that isn't right with our heart. And give us the courage, God, to make changes. Shine light on it. God, for those with wounds, I know it's not uh, flippant to say, hey, you'll get over it. People with secrets, people who are just buried by shame, I pray, God, you'll give them strength to take a step toward healing, toward freedom. Many have built walls up in their lives to hide the junk that's stuck in their hearts. God, we sing about it a lot around here. You can tear those walls down. We pray that you'll start doing that even in this moment. God, only you can heal these wounds that exist in our hearts. Only you are the one who can forgive the sins of the past. That once they're forgiven, they're gone. They're no longer having, they no longer have any authority over us. That happens only, God, when we put our faith in you. I pray, God, if there be one person here today, maybe there be 50 who need to take that step to trust in you, that they'll put their trust in Jesus today. I pray this in the powerful, life-naming, life-changing name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Amen. If you have a need in your heart to make Jesus the Lord of your life, or maybe you would love to talk with somebody about something that's lodged in your heart and you just can't get over it, We're going to be down front. We'd love to talk with you, spend some time praying with you. Uh, Feel free to come as we stand and worship our Lord together.